Welcome to the Truth of the Matter Is podcast. I'm your host, Daniel, alongside Jonathan. We're back for episode number 78. I'd like to say on behalf of myself and Jonathan that we appreciate you for listening in today. Of course, before we begin, let's give a round of applause to all who have decided to join us today by pressing play. We thank you and hope that you continue to press play at your own convenience. Of course, before we get started with prayer, how are you doing today, Daniel? How's everything? How's life? Uh, I'm very sick, but I'm also at the same time ready to close out a chapter and looking forward to something new. So that should be coming up in the next two weeks. So closing one book and opening another. What about you? I'm doing well. Now, I suppose, how do you believe you got sick? Do you think it's underdressing with the weather getting increasing in cold? by the day or do you think that you you just got sick just based upon you know adjusting to the weather it's like a november thing i just always get sick in november i don't know why that is ah, okay. i'll get sick for like a day or two sometimes three days okay maybe you got to increase your vitamin c and ginger and those sort of things kind of help avoid getting sick or for me, what helps me avoid getting sick is just doing constant cardio, orange juice, you know, getting some of the basic elements in to keep your immune system up. So you might have to incorporate that somehow throughout your... Yeah, I was uh, doing a lot of cleaning yesterday, too, so I think okay, part that's, of it is from yeah, that. that but... might be why. Dust got inside and... Your system probably is trying to adjust to it. So I think you'll be fine. We'll pray for you. All right. So let's get started with prayer. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for what you have done and what you are going to do. As students of your word, bless our eyes to see, our ears to hear, our hearts to receive, and our minds to understand who you are continuously. Lord, in your word, you said your burden is easy and your yoke is light. Lord, I pray that we press into that today, that we place our concerns and issues before you so you can hear that out, Lord. Lord, let us all who are thirsty drink with joy so that we may never thirst again and through us, because of you, will flow living water. Lord, let us not rely on our own understanding. Instead, allow you to lead us. Lord, you said, in all thy getting, get understanding, for wisdom is the principal thing, and therefore, that is the reason why we ought to come to you. We should have reverence for you, with that we know that you will bless us because you told us that you oppose the proud, but show favor to the humble. So I pray that we remain humble and teachable. I pray that our eyes don't depart from your word, but that we remain in it for direction, hope, and comfort. With this, I say, all in agreement, you can say amen. Amen. So the benefit and advantage of reading the Gospel of Luke is we have an understanding of the story of Jesus Christ through the testimony of those who were present, right? That's why Luke's account, Luke's account comes from the eyewitness testimony, right? 
Therefore, there will be certain portions that will be repetitive and repeated in the Gospel of Matthew. And there will be certain portions that will be different. So far, we have we've had identified some similarities and yet differences of how the genealogy was mentioned in the Gospel of Matthew and how it was mentioned in the Gospel of Luke from last week. And the Gospel of Matthew it began in chapter one and the Gospel of Luke. We saw it begin in chapter three. So today I want to talk about the preparation for the way. Again, it's the preparation for the way. And I'm actually going to use the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke to unpack it. So let's begin with the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to look at chapter 2, verse 18 through 23. We're going to look at this in the English Standard Version. When Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. Now what Daniel just read was context. This is what I want us to focus on. I'm going to look at this verse in particular, verse 23, Daniel. And when... He went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that is what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. So let's go to the Gospel of Luke. We're going to look at chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 39 through 40 in the English Standard Version. Daniel? When they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth, of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. So far in the combination, what we see is the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of Matthew telling us a complete story. In the Gospel of Matthew chapter two, we see that because of Joseph's fear of the leadership himself, Mary and Jesus lived in a city called Nazareth. Now, there's a portion in verse 23 that we need to understand and unpack, which requires a revisit. And that's what we're going to do. As we go to the Gospel of Luke, we see that Joseph, Mary, and Jesus as a family lived under the law of the Lord. Because in Luke chapter 2, verse 39 to 40, it tells us that they performed everything according to the law of the Lord. We know that Jesus was a Nazarene. Because the rest of verse 40 says that Jesus, who is the child in this context, says that the child grew up and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. So, we know that Jesus went through a process of maturity and growing up with wisdom and also favor from God, right? This is how he's relatable. We've also done past episodes that spoke to how God understands and you know, Jesus, which is God in the flesh, knows exactly how we feel and the things that we go through. Because we see here that at least to the age of 29, Jesus grew up, matured, ate, did all the normal things a child would do. Okay. 
Now, let's take time to address verse 23, Matthew chapter 2. We're actually going to address that now. What was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled that he will be called a Nazarene. So according to verse 22, well, actually verse 23, rather, it says that the prophet spoke about someone living in Nazareth. Therefore, he will be called a Nazarene. So for starters, we need to ask ourselves, is there a scripture in the Old Testament that says plainly who Jesus will become? And the answer is no. So the next question is, how do we know it's true? Right. So Matthew did something here. and We're trying to figure this out. Now, if someone proposed this or shared it with me and I was on the opposite end, I would say that's a great question. And I would say, here's the benefit and the value of knowing the original language, right? The Bible was written in. What we can do is look at what was said in two areas of the book of Isaiah, which is what we're going to do. And we, we can actually take a look at biblical history as well. So, when we look at Matthew chapter 2, verse 23, it says, what, Daniel, to remind the people? So that is what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he will be called a Nazarene. So at first I was thinking, what did Matthew mean? Right? There was no prophet who spoke about Jesus being called a Nazarene. So why say it like that? That was the first question, at least in my study. Then I realized maybe it's not clear in the English language, right? Because everything we've read so far is in our language for our understanding. The next alternative to try to, you know, figure this out is to look at what Matthew said in his language, right? In Hebrew. So I came to believe that sometimes the insight to what a writer says, at least in the Bible, can drastically be different in the English language based upon how it's interpreted. However, it must be much clearer in Hebrew. You know, that's what I also realized. Everything isn't always so plainly understood, right? It can also just be a concept. Let's take a look at that, right? Let's use the Trinity, for example. Is the word Trinity in the Bible? No, but the concept is. Here's another example. In order to describe God's attributes or characteristics, theologians use the three important terms, the three oaths, right? Omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent. Is that in the Bible? No, but the concept is. The point is we have to read carefully and also hold the original language in high regard when things are, aren't actually making sense. So the word Nazarene refers to the branch in Isaiah 11, verse 1, which we can take a look at in a second. Nazarene also refers to a person who is despised. We will unpack that as well from a biblical perspective and also a historical point of view. When we look up the word Nazareth, the traditional view is that this word is derived from the Hebrew word Nazareth. So S N A Z A R A. Again, it's N A Z A R A. That was used in ancient times. Nazareth, in turn, may be derived from the from either Azar, which is N A T S A R, meaning to watch, or from Nestor. Okay, which is N E S T R, 
meaning branch. So we go to Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, and the Amplified Version. This is what it tells us. A shoot, the Messiah, will spring from the stock of Jesse, David's father, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. So interesting enough, last week we just spoke about the importance of Jesus Christ's genealogy, and we see that the scripture is direct and clear in mentioning the two important factors about Jesus. That one, he is the Messiah, the chosen one, the anointed one. And two, that he comes from the family tree of Jesse, who was David's father. And from that, we know about this connection in reference to the whole bloodline and how it was blessed. Remember, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 through 7, we see that the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations and from David to the deportation to Babylon 14 generations and from the deportation to Babylon to Christ 14 generations I don't believe that was a coincidence but I believe it was God's plan the whole time Jesus supposedly is the son right of Joseph but in the book of Luke, it traces to the son of Adam and it begins with the son of God, which is also Jesus. Right. If you check it out from the beginning, looking at Luke chapter three, verse 23, ending with Luke chapter three, verses 38. So it's from verse 23 to 38. Coincidence? I don't think so. Here's something else that I find actually very interesting. If we go to the gospel of John. And we look at chapter 15, we're going to look at verses 1 through 6. I want everyone to hear this verse, this verse very carefully. Okay, I want everyone to hear this verse extremely carefully. Daniel? I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. That it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in you, he is thrown away like a branch and withered. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. So, of course, this verse is loaded and also very powerful and deserves to be unpacked on its own. And that's something that eventually we will do once we get to the Gospel of John. Now, I thought it was worth mentioning what Jesus called himself, right? And what he's used to be so follow me here jesus said he is the true vine right obviously with what daniel just read in the gospel of john chapter 15 but what was said in isaiah 11 it was said that he was a branch and it says from that branch it says he would bear what fruit now as branches why is it important that it remains in the vine so that it can bear fruit Jesus is divine, the true source of life for us believers. We are branches connected to him. 
drawing that life from him as branches. Right? Branches draw the necessary nutrients to survive and flourish. So at first glance, we may assume that the branches bear fruit. But in another sense, it's really the vine that makes it all happen. The point is, there is such unconnectedness that while we are doing the work, Jesus is doing the work in us as well. And Jesus came from a bloodline that generationally is blessed and, of course, part of God's plan. So originally we read in Isaiah that Jesus was a branch streaming from the tree. You know how we look at generations and usually that's structured by a branch in terms of a family tree. I think it's all interconnected. It makes sense when you put it all together. So truly, I want to say we can look at the preparation for the way which Jesus said he was, right? We go to the Gospel of John chapter 14, verse 6, when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He honestly meant it. But all the things that happened along the way were strategically planned out and handed by God since Genesis 3.15. So God was handling all these things and handling it in such a way it took years and years to develop. It was part of the process and part of the preparation for Jesus, who is God in the flesh, to enter as a son of God into human history. Now, the word, we're going to go back to the second explanation of what the word Nazarene also refers to. And that is a person who is despised. Because, again, when we're looking at this, this text originally in Matthew chapter 2, verse 23, we're trying to understand why Nazarene was used there, right? And, of course, we just unpacked it from understanding the term branch here, but it also means a person who was despised. So, historically speaking, in the first century, Nazareth was a small town with a negative reputation. It was uncelebrated, forgotten, and most saw it as a town off the beaten path, even from Galilee. During the time of Jesus, it was a rural area that was unfamiliar to most. The term Nazarene will be a stigma Jesus would carry the rest of his life. How do we know this? Well, let's go to the Gospel of John chapter 1. And for context, we're going to start with verse 43, but we're going to end with verse 48. Daniel? The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now, Philip was from... Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. So, when we go to Psalms, chapter 22, verse 6 to 7, we see more despisement. Daniel? But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. 
They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. When we go to Isaiah 53 verse 3, we see more of it as it said. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. How about public despisement? Let's go to the Gospel of Luke chapter 4, and we're going to read, starting for context, at verse 16 to verse 24, English Standard Version. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogues were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And he said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb. Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capri, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. So what do we see here? Great job, Daniel, by the way. Jesus is raised in Nazarene, being rejected at Nazareth. And the response reigns true. He says no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. And Jesus is more than just a prophet, obviously. Everything Jesus said, he not only spoke for those before him, but really they were after him because he was before them. Hence, Daniel would quote something John the Baptist said in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 29 to 31. And this is what John the Baptist said. John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. So again, stuff we discussed last week spoke to this as in Jesus being the son of God, Jesus being the son of man, and therefore he wasn't created, he always existed. And even though he's coming through the person Mary, birth from the Holy Spirit, he matured and grew up as a man. But who he was has always existed. To go to the Gospel of John, we learn that he gave up his glory to redeem us. A lot of that is in the book of Hebrews, something we will have to get into another time. Now, there's a powerful statement from Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 to 28. And we're going to read this for context because it's important how it is laid out to how we can understand who God has chosen, which is John the Baptist, to actually be the leader and leading the way and making way for the way, which is Jesus Christ. So, Daniel, take it away. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. 
Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and not the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. Great job, Daniel. So. This verse sets the stage for us to take a look at Matthew chapter 3, verse 3 through 12 in the English Standard Version. Daniel. For this is he who was spoken by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now, I want us to pause and acknowledge John, who was known as a Nazarite. Let's define that. Daniel? An Israelite consecrated to the service of God on the vows to abstain from alcohol, let the hair grow, and avoid defilement by contact with courts. So you know who else was a Nazarite? Samson, who once ate honey out of the skull of a dead lion's carcass. Want to know more about that? You can check out the book of Judges, chapter 14, verses 8 through 9. Now let's continue with the reading of Matthew, chapter 3, where we're going to Actually, start at verse 4, continuing all the way to 12. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. And his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. And they were baptized by him in the river of Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, the axe is laid to the roots of the trees. Every tree, therefore, does not bear good fruit. It's cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. He will know it, for it is in his hand. And he would clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the shaft he will burn with unquenchable fire. Great job, Dan. So let's take a look at what John was eating. Locusts. Now, locusts has been used as a food throughout history. They are considered meat. Several cultures throughout the world consumes insects and locusts are considered a delicate in many African, Middle Eastern, and Asian countries. They can be cooked many ways, but often fried, smoked, or dried. The text also says that John consumed wild honey. Now, in the Bible, honey is mentioned 61 times, and its meaning is often associated with prosperity and abundance. 
in the third chapter of Exodus, when God called Moses to lead his people out of Egypt, he called him to lead them to a land that will flow with milk and honey. If we dig deeper, honey is symbolic of fertility, community, prosperity, diligence, and work ethic. Some cultures view bees as messengers of the gods. Their honey has been compared to the nectar of the gods, thus elevating bees to the status of royalty. If we go to the book of Proverbs, chapter 24, we read verses 13 through 14. This is what it said. Eat honey, my son, for it is good. Honey from the comb is sweet to your taste. Know also that wisdom is like honey if you find it. There is a future hope for you, and your hope will not be cut off. That's a very powerful verse. Why do you say that? That's a very powerful verse. Because a lot of people when you think of the when you think of the word taste, right? It's something that tastes good, it makes you want to keep coming back for it. So it's like telling you to continue to seek knowledge. And as long as you continue to strive and to seek for knowledge, it will never be cut off. That's like <laughs> that's, oh my God, he was spitting in that. Yes, that's a good verse. That's why Proverbs is a book of wisdom. At some point, hoping to get to that and start unpacking some of that stuff because some of that stuff is real deep, right? We also it's know like as long as you chase knowledge, there will never your hope would never be cut off because there's always something to learn. Like that's that's beautiful. I love Proverbs. Okay. Good say, though. Yeah, great job. I like that now. I wasn't even prepared to think about that and break it down, but I'm glad you caught it and mentioned something about it. So the reason why I brought up, I believe it was 1 Corinthians, we read, I believe it was verse 27 and 28, because when you look at what... Hold on, hold on, my bad, my bad. I just realized something else. Okay, right? sure. What, what else? Eat honey, my son. A child is always growing. And a child that's always curious is always learning. So as long as you continue to chase knowledge and keep striving for it, your future will be bright. That's oh my oh, oh my god! <laughs> Just a, when you really sit back and take a look at the context of certain words, like even even the language of why it was used like that. I love a good verse, man. I'm sorry, but no, go no, ahead. No, no, no. I I encourage you to do more. This is. Yeah, appreciating God's word. I'm just happy that you actually expanded upon that. That actually is a good verse. Uh, yeah, it's a good verse. Huh. Sometimes, you know, other people can appreciate a good verse to the point that has you going back. It's like, maybe maybe I need to look at that again. Because <laughs> the way you make it a sound, it, 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 I'm like, man, did I miss something <laughs> in the study? I knew it was it'd be cool to talk about it, but I must have missed something here. But yeah, when you when you really look look at it, see how many layers there is to it. Yeah, thirsting for knowledge, yeah. a son and a child, like yeah, how the future. I'm not gonna go back and rebreak down everything I just did, but mm -hmm. yeah, it's very interlaced, even though it's a very short verse. Yes, yes. So I was gonna say. At the Daniel, the reason why I had Daniel read First Corinthians, I believe it was verse twenty-seven to twenty-nine or verse twenty-eight to twenty-nine, is because it spoke about what God decides to raise up and how the world may look at it and despise it 
because it's not up to par or up to society's standard. And when you look at the description of how John the Baptist was actually, you know, wearing, you start to frown and say to yourself, why do you think the Sadducees and the Pharisees had this judgmental look at him as to what he was doing? Not really paying attention to what he was saying, but really focusing on what he was doing and and the way he looked and the way he presented himself and he's obviously one coming from the wilderness i thought that was interesting right and i thought it was a connection because it shows that god can use anyone or anything right just like moses was captivated by a burning bush it's certain things that you know you can look at and just say to yourself man god certainly has a way of catching people's attention so the diet that John was actually on the specifics says a lot about his purpose and preparation to prepare the way. The reason why John the Baptist called the Pharisees and Sadducees abroad a vipers is because they felt that they had power of life and death in their hands. Honestly, they saw themselves as divinely ordained gatekeepers for God's judging who was worthy to go on living, who deserved only of death. I thought it was powerful about what John the Baptist said. He said, right, he warned them. That's why he said, do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. And then he speaks to baptism, which is what we will close with today. So let's finish up with the gospel of Matthew. We're going to look at verses. We're going back to chapter 3, but we're closing out chapter 3 by looking at verses 13 through 17 in English Standard Version. Daniel? Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So as we close, what's so interesting about this text? is the presence of the trinity remember the word isn't in the bible but the concept is present here here's what's also interesting john recognizes that he shouldn't be baptizing jesus it should be jesus the other way around who is baptizing him now jesus makes a statement he says let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Now, powerful statement here because it tells me that Jesus didn't just do this as a sign of demonstration, but for all who were there to witness the power of God with the Trinity at work. So let's go through each process and the actions that follow. First, when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the waters. Second, behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And third, behold, a voice from heaven said, this is, be, this is my beloved son, which whom I am well pleased. 
So the spirit began to bear testimony to him this way. Before Jesus was baptized at the age of 29, he lived a normal life like you and I. But he grew up in wisdom and maturity. Of course, the Holy Spirit dwelt in him. He was protected by God. But up until this point, to understand, right, look at the beginning of the portion of both Luke and Matthew to see what God did, right? I'm constantly moving him so he wouldn't be liked. Once he was baptized, that's when the Holy Spirit began to officially work in him, right? And the work that he did was redemptive. That is, the age of grace had officially begun. And we see that it started in the Gospel of Luke chapter 4, verse 1, and Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, because the Scripture says, Soon after Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, was led into the wilderness or the desert, to be tempted. He needed to be tested before he started his ministry at the age of 31. So this was the preparation for the way. I know it was a lot, but this is God who planned everything so strategically, again, since Genesis 3.15 up to now. So, again, obviously it's a lot, but this was all in preparation, even John the Baptist, for Jesus Christ. And what led him to start his ministry. And with that, we will end with devotional time. Jesus Christ, creator and sustainer. Really, really just sit back and think about that, though. A sustainer. Something that's consistent. Always supplying. Always there. Never runs out. In these last days, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2, um, chapter 1, verse 2 through 3, it says, In these last days, God has spoken to us by his Son, through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Now, we can never honor Jesus Christ too much. That's not possible. But let's consider two ways he is honored in relation to all things. First of all, let's think of him as the creator of the universe. The fact that Jesus is the creator of all things is taught in John chapter 1 verse 3. And we also see, if we take a look at Colossians chapter 1 verse 16 and other scriptures, you are a part of that creation. Sometimes you have a hard time feeling a sense of self-worth. And this isn't something you strive to obtain. Instead, it's something God has breathed into you from the very beginning. So you always are worth something, especially in God's eyes. No matter what other people may say or may think, as long as you have trust in him, you're always worth something. And even if you don't, he still views you as worth something. And we just talked about Christ being the sustainer. But think of him as the sustainer of the universe. And you are sustained not by your own strength, but by Jesus Christ. Your experience, the strengthening as you read the Bible, meditate on it, pray, worship Him, read devotion, spend time with other Christians, love your neighbors, and share faith with them. And you know, it, then you get verses Proverbs 24, verse 13 through 14. Go back and read that. That's what the word can do to you when you just sit back and read it. It will sustain you in many ways. So we end devotion by saying this. Lord Jesus, I pray 
to you. And I praise you as the creator of all universes, the physical realms. I can see all the endless invisible realms. And I praise you for sustaining it all, even my own life. And those in agreement say, Amen. Amen.